So I, I rode my bicycle for a year in 2010 uh, from uh, Canada to Colombia, and as part of that journey, I discovered that basically a billion people in the world didn't have uh, access to clean drinking water. So I began this journey and did some higher level education and been on a series of trips with my friends in the last six years. That's all led us to this, to this spot now where we've become very interested in a small scale uh, decentralized desalinization projects. It's really the future of water. I'm Ryan, and welcome to today's Beach Talk. I want to help you understand every word of God in the Word of God. Now God has so many amazing things that He wants to teach us and say to us, so thank you for spending some time with us today. Now our objective is simple. It's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches. We want to multiply our efforts in disciple making and church planting. So we're in Matthew chapter 2 today, and the first two verses it says now Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king behold the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who was born king of the Jews for we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him now Bethlehem was the ancestral home of David the great king of Israel and founder of their royal dynasty however it was not a large and significant town Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of the 19th century, says there is infinite power even in an infant savior. Now in the days of Herod the king, Herod was indeed great, in some ways great as a ruler, a builder, and an administrator, in other ways great politically and in cruelty. D.A. Carson said he was wealthy, politically gifted, loyal, an excellent administrator, and clever enough to remain in the good graces of successive emperors his famine relief was superb. He built projects. He was admired by his foes. He loved power, inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people, and resented the many Jews who saw him as an usurper. In his last years, suffering and illness compounded his paranoia, and he turned to cruelty and rage to rule his kingdom. Now, Augustus, another historian, said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. He ruled through fear and terror at the end of his life. Now, but it gives us a chronological marking point. Jesus was born before the death of Herod the Great, which is probably dated uh, 4 BC. The exact date of Jesus' birth is actually unknown. Now, these travelers uh, were called wise men, which in the ancient Greek is this word magi. Now, misconceptions and legends abound about these wise men. Uh, they weren't kings, but wise men, which means they were astronomers. Uh, there were not only three, probably a great crowd of them. There seems to be, uh, probably they visited Jesus not on the day he was born, but several months later. Now, there's a there was a general expectation of a Messiah or a great person from Judea. Not long after Jesus was born, the Roman historian Suetonius said that there had spread all over the ancient world this idea that um, someone would rule with authority coming from Judea, this part of the world. Another Roman historian named Tacitus said there was a firm persuasion that at the very time the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea who would acquire a universal empire. So the Magi and Wisemen understood this and by an astrological phenomenon uh, following they came to the area to find answers in Jerusalem. 
they expected that the leaders and the people of the capital of the city of the Jews would be even more interested in this than they were, but sadly, they weren't. They said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Now, it's a strange thing for a baby to be born a king. Usually, they're princes for a long time uh, before they're kings, but this is different with Jesus. D.A. Carson, a Bible commentator, said that his kingly status was not conferred on him later, but it came with his birth. So they said that we've seen his star on the east. Now, there are many different suggestions for this natural origin of this remarkable star. Some say it was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Some other think it was other planetary conjunctions or a supernova or comets or a specifically created unique star or sign. But this was a fulfillment of Numbers 24, where it said that a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This was widely regarded by ancient Jewish scholars as a messianic prediction. And they came to worship him. The wise men came first to Jerusalem, assuming that the leaders of the Jews would be aware and excited about the birth of their Messiah. The wise men are about to find out that that wasn't the case at all. So in verse 3, it says that Herod is troubled at the news brought by the wise men. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod was constantly on guard against threats to his rule, especially from his own family. We know that he assassinated many, family, many of his own family members who were suspected of disloyalty, and so he was troubled at the thought of being usurped. So Jer Herod wanted to be accepted by the Jews, uh, but he wasn't a Jew at all. He was actually an Edomite. Now, Rome recognized him as a vassal over Judea. Now, the Jews tempered their hatred of him with their admiration of his building projects, such as the magnificent improvements he made to the Second Temple. William Barclay reminds us of what a bloody, violent ruler Herod was. He said he has no sooner come to the throne than he began annihilating the Sanhedrin. He slaughtered 300 court officers, he murdered his own wife. He murdered his mother and his eldest son, two of his other and two of his other sons, Alexander uh, and his brother. Now, the fact that all Jerusalem was troubled with Herod is significant. This was due either to the fact that the people of Jerusalem rightly feared some sort of paranoid outburst that might come upon them about hearing about a baby being born that might seize his empire. So in verses four and six, it says, when he had gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the peoples together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they said to him, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now this was the first contact the Jewish religious leaders had with Jesus. They understood the biblical information correctly, but they failed in the application in their lives. How often do we do this ourselves? So priests would have been uh, especially included those who, uh, of the high priest, and Herod charged the high priest because it was largely a political appointment. Now the scribes, they were the teachers of the law. Other English versions say that they were the experts in the Old Testament and its oral tradition. Their work was not so much copying the Old Testament as manuscripts, but in teaching the Old Testament in practice. Now, Micah 5.2 says that the chief priests and scribes understood that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, distinguishing it from another town of the same 
further north, but from this passage in Micah, they understood that not only would the Messiah be born in Bethlehem, but that he would also be a ruler who would shepherd the people of Israel. So sadly, these experts had the right information, but seemed personally uninterested in meeting the Messiah for themselves. Like a lot of people today who want to know about God, but don't actually know God. Now, verse 7 and 8 says, true to character, Herod attempts to use wise men to find the child, but he really wanted to kill him. He secretly had called the wise men, determined from them uh, to help him find this. So he sent to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. <clears throat> bring back word to me that I may come to worship him also. Now the irony here is strong. Herod claimed a desire to worship Jesus, but he really wanted to end his life. Now, verses 9 through 12 says that the wise men presented gifts to Jesus and leave without informing Herod. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced uh, exceeding with exceedingly great joy that they had come into the house they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him gold frankincense and myrrh then being warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed for their own country on a different route so wise men brought their best to God and wise men still do. We're not supposed to bring our sloppy seconds to our Savior. Now, sloppy seconds isn't worship. I want to ask you a question. Are you bringing God your best or your second best? Now, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. The star continued to guide them, apparently reappearing. Now, we can surmise that the star appeared some months before, guiding them to the general area, and then they visited Jerusalem to gain more information. Then the star appeared again to specifically guide them. This was an obvious supernatural phenomenon. And now, now they stood where the young child was. Adam Clark says that this is more literally stood over the head of the child. In his thinking, it was some kind of meteor that guided them to the very house where Jesus was. He goes on to say that this idea of a star-like shine associated with the head of Jesus gave rise to the idea of the halo in the ancient and medieval art. Now, when they had <clears throat> opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, it was common, especially in the East, that one would never appear before royalty or a person of importance without bringing gifts. Now, considering who these wise men believed the young child to be, it's not surprising that they gave him such lavish gifts. The idea that there were three wise men comes from the fact that there were three gifts. So they presented gifts to him. The precious gifts were not presented to Mary or Joseph, but to Jesus himself. Yet undeniably, the infant Jesus did not use or spend any of these precious gifts, but his parents used them, hopefully wisely, on his behalf and benefit. In the same way, when we give to Jesus today, we do not give to him directly, but we give to his people, his church, who use those gifts on his behalf and benefit him with wisdom and represent him wisely. So they fell down and worshiped him. More important than their gifts is the fact that they worshiped Jesus. Now it must have been a curious sight 
to see these impressive dignitaries bowing down before a young child. We see here three different responses to Jesus. Now, one may say that all people respond in one of these three ways. So Herod displayed an open hatred and hostility towards Jesus. The chief priests and the scribes were indifferent towards Jesus, all the while retaining their religious respectability. Now the wise men sought out Jesus and worshiped him even at great cost. Now we should learn from the wisdom of these wise men. They weren't satisfied with looking at the star and admiring it. They did something about it. And they set out and they followed it. They persevered in their search and in following after the star, they weren't discouraged in the search. And they didn't doubt. They rejoiced at the star. When they arrived at the destination the star led them to, they entered in. When they had entered in, they worshiped. They sensed an urgency to worship him now and not wait until later when they worshiped. It was to give something, not empty-handed adoration. So verses 13 through 15 say, When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now when he arose, uh, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. The command was urgent and came right when the wise men had departed. It would not have sounded completely strange to Joseph that they should find refuge in Egypt. There was a large Jewish community in Egypt, and it wasn't strange that the Holy Spirit would guide Joseph to take his family. D.A. Carson wrote that Egypt was a natural place in which to flee. It was nearby, it was well-ordered, uh, it was outside of Herod's jurisdiction, and according to Philo, another historian, it included about a million Jewish people who had settled there. Now, Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. This response is consistent with both the character of Herod and humanity in general. When he arose, he took the child and his mother by night. Now, Joseph's rapid and complete obedience is impressive. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now in the process another prophecy was fulfilled. Now at first glance we might wonder how this prophecy from Hosea 11.1 is fulfilled in Jesus, but Matthew makes it clear that even as Israel as a nation came out of Egypt, so would the Son of God. Now verses 16 through 18, now then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now he sent forth to put them to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts. <clears throat> a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. This quotation from Jeremiah 31 originally referred to the mourning of Israel's mothers during the conquest and captivity of a nation. Here, Rachel is a representation of Bethlehem's mothers. 
Now, verses 19 through 21, when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Arise, take the, your young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, he took his child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now, verses 22 and 23 says, When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, Joseph had a good reason to be cautious about him as well. It was Herod's son. The son of Herod to be proved to be so incompetent and violent that at the plea of the Jews of Judea, the Romans deposed him uh, for misrule and replaced him with a different governor uh, appointed by Rome uh, in 86. Now, being warned about God in a dream, he turned aside to the region of Galilee, again receiving guidance by a divine dream. Joseph settled outside of the much more religious region of Jerusalem and Judea and into the populous region of Galilee, which had a much more significant Gentile population than Judea or Jerusalem. Now, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. It was remarkable that Joseph came back to Nazareth, the hometown of Mary and presumably Joseph. It was remarkable because Nazareth was an unremarkable town and because it was where everyone knew Mary and Joseph and the strange circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. Now, Nazareth was an unwalled, unprotected town with a somewhat bad reputation. Nathaniel wondered if anything good could come from Nazareth in John 1. In God's plan, Jesus came from a small, insignificant place that had no reputation, in fact, a bad one. This is where Jesus grew up and was matured into adulthood. Now, this flies in the face of today's celebrityism. Jesus was a nobody from a nowhere place and that should be the goal in our life as his followers. Jesus was a Nazarene from Nazareth. What does this mean? God, by his providence, ordered it that he who was, he was an anti-type of the Nazarites and the true Nazir, a person separated that should be educated at Nazareth, a poor, contemptible town. Now, when the plan of God uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Messiah, Jesus grew up in a somewhat despised town. Indeed, Jesus would become known as Jesus of Nazareth and his followers Nazarenes. Charles Spurgeon points out, there's always some city or village or another whose inhabitants seem to be the butt of every joke and the object of scorn. The people of such places are thought to be low, uncultured, not smart. That is the kind of place that Nazareth was. So growing up in Nazareth, Jesus would mature uh, in his life and then into adulthood, he would fulfill the responsibilities expected of an eldest son. Uh, and then Joseph disappeared from the scene and Joseph became the man of the family. He worked his trade, uh, he supported his family, loved his God, uh, and proved him uh, totally faithful in this small, nowhere setting. Yet no one would be intimidated to meet a man from Nazareth. There was a tendency to be immediately think of oneself as better than a person from Nazareth. Now that wraps up our time in Matthew 2 today. Jesus was born an outcast and understands what it's like to feel rejected and be an outsider. Maybe you felt that way in your life. You felt misunderstood or rejected. You know, God understands us and never rejects us. All we have to do is accept them into our hearts. If we accept them into our hearts, he promises to give us a new life. I know I can use that. Would you pray with me right now and ask God to give us a new life? You could just say, Jesus, uh, I ask you to give me today a new life. 
I thank you that you accept me just the way that I am. And I thank you that you understand me because you made me. Please come into my life and change it today so I can become who you want me to be, not who society wants me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that, you're a part of God's family. I hope you'll join us for tomorrow's Beach Talk as we look at Matthew chapter 3 together. Have a great day. Thank you for your time. We would love to partner with you. Uh, water is a global problem. It's going to take as many partners as we can to help solve this problem. We'd love for you to partner with us. If you can go to our website at www.oceanwater.com. That's O-C-N-W-T-R.com. We'd love that. Thanks so much.